In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as we get you set for the first of many matchups with the Hamilton Tiger Cats this week. There's there's so many games against the Tiger Cats. The good news is we don't need to leave Southern Ontario, but uh, we are going to be pretty sick of the Hamilton Tiger Cats in a few weeks. So we'll get that set up for you. We also want to talk about the the movement that there seems to be from some members of the press and also a number of fans to uh, to fire Coach Dinwiddie, which we think is absurd. Uh, and there's a similar movement to replace McLeod Bethel-Thompson, which is equally absurd. And so we're going to go through some of those things today. We've also got OCDC for you. We've got one thing, our predictions, some fantasy advice, and our CFL picks. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Let's get right into it, JB. Let's let's talk about the the Coach Dinwiddie stuff first because this this just blows my mind. Like I, I get that people after losses sometimes overreact or knee jerk reactions. We see it in every sport, you know. Make this change, whatever else. The number of people who seem to think that Coach Dinwiddie isn't cut out for this job is mind boggling to me. And then to see pieces like this written. Uh, in in mainstream media, which so rarely covers uh, the CFL, as well as you know, with uh, you know Howard's Burgers writing and stuff like that, where he's been pretty critical in the past. Uh, I I I don't know what to make of it. it. It's it floors me. Well, we disagree on this. My, I mean, my feeling is mainstream media means player leak. Uh, in my opinion, that uh, blogs are opinion, and mainstream media is a phone call. Um, so it does suggest that maybe things are not perfect in Argo land, but I don't think coaching is an issue when I when I look at the team. I mean, are there times I disagree with Dimwitty? Yeah, but I, I don't feel that he is a poor coach. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, certainly he deserves to finish the year and see how the year goes. And then, you know, that, that'll that be two full years. And then at the end of two years, you should take a look at, at what you have and, and is this somebody who you think can lead you to a championship. I think that's just due diligence. But to suggest we need to get rid of them now, um, there isn't a lot of evidence to, to point to that, in, in my opinion. What people point to are the game management mistakes. And there are calls, like I, I disagree with a lot of what Coach Dinwiddie does too, but I, I don't think with the stuff that I disagree on, it's it's not necessarily there's a right and there's a wrong. We just have different philosophies sometimes. Like I would have run a lot of draw plays last week and he didn't run any. But that's not, you know, that that's not a, that's not, certainly not a fireable offense. And I'm not even sure that I'm right. You know, he he knows what he's doing as as a coach. So just because we have disagreements, though, doesn't mean that I, I think he's a bad coach. I think I actually think he's a, a very good coach. And coaching in professional football isn't something that you're usually good at immediately. It takes time. Remember that, yes, he did have a stint in Montreal where he had some time with play calling and, and sort of as, as the OC. But for most of his coaching experience in Calgary, he was a positional coach and he had additional responsibilities beyond most positional coaches, but he wasn't the OC there and he certainly wasn't the head coach there. And that is a big leap. But I want to point out in contrast to 
you know, the lack of patience that there seems to be for Dinwiddie. Look, look at Mike O'Shea, because we both acknowledge that Mike O'Shea is the best coach in the CFL right now. You'd agree with that, right? Yeah, definitely. So Mike O'Shea's first two seasons, so his first full season as head coach, he finished his last place in the West, which, again, I think any new head coach, you, you, you play that through. And then in his second year, the Blue Bombers go 5-13, and 13, which was actually a worse record than they had in the first year. Now, imagine, imagine Coach Dinwiddie does that. Imagine Coach Dinwiddie finished last in the East last year and was off to a start indicative of a 5-13 and 13 finish. Uh, people would be losing their minds. But Mike O'Shea wasn't fired. They saw potential and they saw promise and they said, you know, let's let him build because he was, you know, he had never been in that position either. He had never been, uh, you know, a, a head coach before. He had only been a special teams coordinator. So they gave him the benefit of the, the doubt. They liked him as, as a player and as a football mind and as a coach. And so they let him play it through. And then his third season, finally, they started seeing some results and they produced a winning season. But you look at Coach Dinwiddie, in his first season, he won the East Division. He had the best record in the East Division in his first year as a head coach. And this year, right now, as we stand, I know the, the East hasn't been playing well, but he's in first place in the East Division. If you're going to give two years to Mike O'Shea, which was obviously the correct decision, he's turned into the best coach in the league, then you've got to at least, at least give the, the, the like, even that, like, I, I think even if the Argos fall flat this year, I still think you give Coach Dinwiddie another year, just based on what we've seen to this point. Winning the East Division as a rookie head coach isn't something that people typically do. It doesn't happen a lot. The reverse happens a ton, and some of those guys turn out to be great head coaches. So you can't, after a season and a half, but even after two seasons in my mind, I don't think you can move on from, from Coach Dinwiddie. He just hasn't given you reason enough to do so. No, I, I mean, I think whispers probably come out of a couple of things. I think that, number one, you know, when you have pinball as your general manager, that, that shadow is always going to be there because obviously pinball has taken over before and then won a great cup. So that is, you know, that is some context. Um, I think that also as an offensive coach, I think it is hard. It can be hard because offense and defense are so different. They're such different vibes. Um, and, you know, when you have an offensive head coach, um, I think that there is a pressure to be better offensively because offensive coaches often don't connect with the defense, don't connect with defensive players. It's a very different mindset. And defensive players look at a coach and are wondering, you know, where's the offense? You're the offensive coach. I'm taking care of defense. Where, where are the plays? Where are the points? That that's what you're bringing. So I do feel it. It's not out of nowhere. I agree with you completely. Dinwiddie has earned certainly this season, if not one more. Um, but. There are questions. It, it is not a very good offensive football team. He is an offensive head coach. Um, though, those are questions that are undeniable. And you look at the the play calling for that, which I think is completely reasonable. You say, okay, well, the offense isn't producing. Let's take a look at why. 
And when we start breaking it down, and on, uh, even the, this past week, the offense was was pitiful. They scored 13 points. The plays were there, though. There were plays to be made. There were four terrible drops, actually five drops that I had recorded. I had, I had two drops for two drops for Ambles, two drops to Gittins, one drop to Banks. Um, you know, five drop passes, a couple of those that could have been huge plays. You had that fumble uh, just past midfield that would have probably turned into points. Uh, and then you had McLeod Bethel-Thompson missing a couple of potentially big shot plays. Those things collectively uh, were a disaster for the Argos offense, but I don't know how much of that you can pin on the coach. Now, at some point, a coach does need to answer for that. You can't, if you were scoring 13 points every week, uh, then you have to start looking at it. And it's true, the offense is not as good as the defense. But in part, that's the style of football team they've got. If you look at the players that have been put together, this is not an offense filled with lucky whiteheads. There aren't guys on here that are going to take the ball and, and go for 80-yard touchdowns, typically. It's just not built that way. And an offense centered around Andrew Harris is going to be a a slower-paced, a time-of-possession-based offense, even in Canadian football. So uh, it, this just isn't going to be, even when all things are working, this isn't going to be a 45 points a game kind of team. They're just not built like that. So I don't think that's fair to put on Dinwiddie. But you're right, as an offensive head coach, there is a greater expectation that there'll be offensive production. But when the roster is really centered around the defense and all the stars on the defense, you know, maybe that's what he's got to coach to. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do believe that that probably creates some conflict uh, within the team. Um, and that's probably a little bit what we're hearing of. And not not to stay on this topic too long. Um, I like Dinwiddie as a coach. I, 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 I think he is a good coach. Uh, 10 touchdowns so far is not enough. So that that has to change over the second half of the season. I don't need them to become the 2000 Rams, but the I think the offense does have to become better in the red zone, does have to start putting up touchdowns in the second half um, to kind of solidify him moving forward, in my opinion. And I think we'll probably see more of that when some of these huge pieces start returning. Uh, coming off this 13-point performance, we have to be reminded that you are without Deveris Daniels in that game. You're without Eric Rogers, who is going to be coming back this week, we believe. Uh, adding Juwan Breskison, I still don't think we're ready to add back Peter Nicastro, but this line has been banged up and you know had three different guys out of position uh, this past week. So... We are kind of making excuses for the offense this week, but uh, you know there there are there are real reasons for it. So once some of this team starts getting healthier, we'll see if that changes things around a little bit. Let's switch gears and talk about McLeod Bethel Thompson. What what drives me up the wall with criticism of McLeod Bethel Thompson is that the type of the type of wording that you get on social media suggests that like if you if you only read social media posts about McLeod. You would think that he was statistically the worst quarterback in the league, uh, and you would you would think that he absolutely doesn't belong in the football field. And that's not the case at all. He his numbers are actually surprisingly good, even f- from my perspective. Like they, when I started looking up his his stats, and I, I like McLeod Bethel Thompson. I think he is a good quarterback. But you start looking up his stats. He's he's number two in the league in completion percentage. So start there. Number two in, in the league in total yards per game also. That's a great combination. When you are second in the league in completion percentage, second in the league in yards per game, 
Those are great stats. Uh, he's third in the league in touchdowns per game. Uh, out of you know, out of all the quarterbacks that play, touchdowns per game is another stat that you want up there. And his only bad category isn't terrible, which is um, he's throwing one interception per game. So uh, through his six games, he's thrown six picks. I'd like that number to be lower, but it's not a disaster number. I'm okay with a quarterback throwing one interception per game, especially when you are third in the CFL in touchdowns per game. So I think that that more than offsets it. So you look at those numbers and it's it's pretty tough to say that this is a guy that shouldn't be playing. This is a guy that some people think should be replaced by Chad Kelly, who I like a lot, but that's just that's just bananas. No, and I think my bona fides as a critic of MBT are pretty pretty set. You can go back and listen to lots of pods where I was not a big fan. In my opinion, this season he has played incredibly well. I feel like he he has reduced a number of terrible mistakes. He's throwing the ball well. Um, I like his his composure. Uh, he has made some big time pro throws. Uh, he has an arm. I, I feel that he is leading the team. I, uh, he is not the issue. Obviously, Chad Kelly is in no way ready to play a CFL game. You know, the guy he replaced, Arbuckle, can't even make the Red Blacks. Um, you know, he, he was clearly the right choice. I think he is the right choice um, moving forward. He is not exciting. Doesn't roll out of the pocket. He's not a magician. He he's not a no 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 yes quarterback like a lot of CFL guys are. He's not a star in the way that Rourke is. So I I get where people you know kind of are a little cold on him because he's he's fine. I think that's what he is. He's fine, um, you know, and he's he's not electric, but. I think fine is fine. I mean, I we have certainly seen lots of quarterbacks that weren't fine. So I, I'm i certainly in on him uh, for the rest of the season. I feel he has played well, really. I, I thought that he didn't play that well in the second half of last year. But I feel like he is playing on time, within a schedule. This is the best I've ever seen him play. So it seems really weird that the rumbles are coming now because this is the best version of him. And, and that puts them in a top four quarterback. He's, he is definitely in, you know, the top four of a nine team league. That's not bad. Yeah. And I think he probably is four in that and that's, but that's okay. Like he, he's not the best quarterback in the league and he's never going to be the best quarterback in the league. And if that's what your expectation is that Toronto just needs to keep moving pieces around until you get the best quarterback in the league. Well, there's going to be a lot of disappointing seasons if that's what your strategy is. You have to take what what he is. And and so many teams would, would love to have the consistency, the performance that they've seen, the stats that you've seen from a club, Bethel Thompson. Look at the stats of some of the other guys that have been starting uh, this season, even some of the big names that aren't close to McLeod Bethel Thompson in in terms of his statistics, in terms of his performance. And yeah, he might be four, he might be, you know, middle of the pack, but but that's great. This is a good team that's built around him. He's getting weapons back. He's got a great defense. Anyone upset with McLeod Bethel Thompson, like what what you're wishing for doesn't exist. It's not out there. Who would you replace him with? Like, it's fine. Some people think Chad Kelly's the answer. Obviously, we, we don't think like down the road, maybe. I think Chad has the potential 
to be awesome. He could be a great CFL quarterback, not this year. Who else are you getting? Like, who else do you, th- who do you think you're going to suddenly replace McLeod with that's going to be better? And no one is really able to answer that question because there isn't an answer to that. No, uh, uh, McLeod is a Volvo and people want a sports car. Even if the sports car breaks down a lot, they like the acceleration. I, I get it, you know, for, on, on one level. They're looking for somebody who can get inside the pocket, can run for first downs, can avoid things. You know, that that's not what he does. But, you know, nothing wrong with a really good Volvo. It's time for OCDC. As we get set to take on the Hamilton Tiger Cats and what is going to be a really important stretch of East Division, Division matchups. And depending on how this series with the Tiger Cats go, where you've essentially got is it like four games in in five weeks yeah, against the bon- Ticats? Yeah, it's bonkers. It is like really weird scheduling. I hate the CFL scheduling this year. We should we, we got to let, let me pause OCDC for just a second for a quick schedule rant. I've heard a few different things league wide. I've heard that some of this was related to travel expenses, uh, and you know some of it was was related to availability. But it's been a really weird schedule from the start. The fact that Toronto opened with Montreal and then didn't play an East Division opponent for like a month and a half after that uh, is absurd. And then four games against Hamilton. I'm okay with that. I still think that's I still think that's a lot. I, I would still much rather spread this around. The fact that you don't go to Winnipeg at all this year is weird. I think you should at least play a home and home with every team in the league. There's only nine teams in the league. Like surely you can play a home and home with every team in the league without having to get inundated with games against one particular team especially a team that they played five times last year yeah but i you know i get it i get travel expenses you you should you should not play anybody in the regular season more than three times i think three you should place your division couple of your division teams three times but you know four is preposterous and some of this would get sorted out a little bit more easily if there was a 10th team halifax uh, a lot of that stuff would would be better, and the bye week distribution would be better because that's been a bit of a mess too. But yeah, that's our little aside rant for now. I, we're going to be so sick of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But that said, there is the potential to absolutely bury that team. But on the other side of things, there's also the potential to get taken right out of this race. So uh, this this needs to be over those four games. It needs to at the at the worst be a split but Toronto's a better team than Hamilton you start looking at their film we'll charge back into OCDC here watching Hamilton film I went back and watched a couple games pretty closely Toronto's a better football team than Hamilton I I wasn't expecting them to be that much better going into this year Uh, but they are a lot of it is is to do with the line on both sides of the ball Hamilton can't be a team you sleep on because they're better than their record is like a lot of teams in the east but Toronto should come out on the, the, like, I expect Toronto to go three and one in these four games against against Hamilton, just based on what we've seen from both teams so far. Uh, uh, watching Hamilton, uh, they are very similar to Toronto. And that bears out in the stats that basically Hamilton and Toronto are holding hands in almost every statistical category. Uh, you know, and so that is interesting because I, you know, like the Spider-Man meme, I think these are two very similar football teams, in my opinion. Let's get into the OCDC segment. 
Let's start off defensively. So if you, we'll start with the bad guys first. We'll we'll coordinate for for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So JB, you're the defensive coordinator for Hamilton. What do you do uh, to continue on? Do you just copy what everything Ottawa did, or do you have a new plan for for taking on Toronto this week? Mm, that is interesting. I, I'm I'm not one for for overthinking defensive plans. So until Toronto shows they can handle it, I certainly open up with that idea of that you're going to uh, run blitz. And you're really going to try and and keep Toronto in second and long, which is not where Toronto wants to be. Um, Toronto seems to feed off the running back, you know, I think just from an energy point of view. So definitely, yes, that uh, I would I would start off with that. A lot of a lot of uh, pack boxes on first down then second down drop out and uh, and go zone and really look to take away, um, you know, deep passes and just kind of leave them that underneath check down and then come up and, and take care of it for, for uh, you know, for second down. Uh, Hamilton has had some success. They're not a great pass rushing team. They've, they've had some success with a four-man line. They do have talent on that line. Definitely with the Argos... Uh, offensive line, which is kind of a work in progress right now with, with people being plugged in. Definitely go after the rookie. A lot of stunts and twists. I think you play games for sure in terms of getting at that quarterback. So throw as much heat as you can early at that offensive line. Um, and you're looking to just be all over Harris because the offense seems to feed off him um, and doesn't seem to be able to to do much outside of the 30 to 30. They're, Toronto's been able to move the ball, but they don't have much success when that field shrinks down. So if, if they want to move 30 to 30, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that as a defense, uh, as long as we're keeping Harris in check and, uh, and, and not allowing um, – Toronto to get a you know a free ball on a deep ball you know Toronto's offense has not shown that it deserves to be feared so as a defense I'm not fearing it I'm I'm looking to to dictate the terms uh, against Toronto and and be very aggressive in blitz packages be be very aggressive in cover zeros and and see if Toronto can can show you something that they haven't unfortunately this is kind of that terrible, vicious cycle when you're not that good in offense. Defenses play way more aggressively against you in ways that would probably work against other teams that they don't try. So your offense isn't going that well, and now suddenly you have defenses playing hyper-aggressive against you, which makes it even harder uh, for you to get out of that loop because you're not getting the free plays that a good offense gets because they're being respected. And I think that's the danger that the Toronto offense is, is about to fall into, is once you stop being respected by defenses, uh, they start bringing all kinds of people, and that can really be a problem. I think some of the issues Toronto had this past week, with Deveris Daniels injured, man coverage became really tough for the Argonauts to beat. And that's something that if you want to stop Harris then you have to commit an extra guy, which Ottawa was doing. 
And Toronto usually has the receivers to at least route run around that, but they don't really have those a lot of breakaway guys that, or, you know, this week they didn't have a, a ton of size. Uh, so there wasn't really a need to double. And so they played pretty tight man and Toronto receivers just weren't getting any separation. So it made for very tight windows. Like you think about those, those throws McLeod did hit where you've got Ambles, you know, catching and somersaulting out of bounds or, uh, guys barely able to stay on their feet. That's basically the only place McLeod could have put the ball. Even that touchdown play to Banks, he was covered very well. It's just McLeod happened to drop it in perfectly. You just, but you can't, you can't run your offense having to make perfect throws every time. There's got to be some separation when you're in man coverage. And if you can't beat man coverage, then you're also not going to be able to run the ball, like you were saying. So um, maybe this week things change a little bit. Hopefully, Devaris can come back. He's t- he's he's a pretty tough matchup one on one. Eric Rodgers uh, always requires some help uh, over top just because of his his range, his combo of of uh, uh, athletic ability, speed, size. Uh, he, he's pretty tough to to match up with one on one. So maybe that'll change this week. But yeah, last week they were just paying some extra attention to Banks and otherwise just kind of letting guys play. Maybe you come out two backs. I I, th- I think Toronto needs to come out and show a different look. I really do. I think if 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 you you got to come out and and punish punish teams for following the game plan that that has worked relatively well um you know punish punish that heat punish punish those full boxes and then things will get back to normal and then you start playing football again let's shift to the offensive side of the ball so if i'm the hamilton offensive coordinator there's a couple things i like there's not anything new that i really want to do but there are things that I want to bring back from games earlier in the year that Hamilton played. So uh, a couple of things I liked when I know they've been kind of going back and forth with with Schultz and Evans. I don't love that, but I'm assuming they're going to kind of continue with that a little bit. Schultz runs a really nice quarterback draw that Toronto hasn't really faced the likes of yet. And I would actually exercise that a little bit because... Toronto sometimes has a lot of faith in their linebackers, and they should, but you can actually get outmanned here on a on a quick quarterback draw where you've got a quick pump fake to the outside, and then Schultz basically follows the running back through the middle. Uh, I, I feel like that could be a pretty dangerous play against the Argonauts because the linebackers act aggressively. You're going to get movement on that fake pitch outside, and it's quick enough that the that the the ends can get left as the quarterback follows the running back through. They did run that for a pretty big play last week, so there is some current film of it. So you know, it's not like the Argos aren't going to see that, but I would still I would still give that play a go. Um, I also really like they've been doing this sort of pitch wide to to Jackson. Actually, they've done it with all of the running backs, but it was most effective with Jackson, where it's it's in shotgun. You've got Jackson off to like let's say the left. And then you pitch it pretty wide to the left. And the goal of that is to get Jackson with the ball outside uh, outside the tackles. And where I think you can incorporate that Schiltz draw play is in faking that wide pitch. Because it's another play that Toronto will have seen on film a ton. You fake that pitch. You create that space in the middle. And now without a lead this time, but you're using your center essentially as your as your lead blocker. Now you draw up the middle. So I do think there's some some room for for quarterback draws with Schultz. Other things I like with Evans back in there. So one thing I've noticed, and this is something Toronto's probably going to key on, 
Evans, way more than I've seen in the past, has been staring down one side of the field. You watch the last few games that he's played in. Right off the snap, he, he basically decides which side of the field he's going to be going to, and he rarely deviates from that. A, a few times he'll decide not to throw it and, and take off or roll out or extend the play, but he doesn't look for, he doesn't start looking to the right and then go back to the left. And I think as Hamilton, you've got to use your own film against the opposition sometimes. I think knowing this and knowing that Toronto's got a smart group of DBs who do study film really well, use that against you. So plan, you know, you've got, let's say you've got uh, one of my favorite, it's it's a, such a simple backside concept, but you have Evans look to the trip side in a five wide set and backside, you've got your outside guy just running a go route and you've got your inside guy running a, a skinny post route, basically staying on his side of, of the safety. And right off the snap, you pivot, you turn your hips to the trip side, you force that safety to commit, that safety who's watched you on film week in, week out, committing to the side you first look to, see if you can get Mechie cheating to that trip side of the field and then try and burn Toronto with that skinny post backside. Plays like that, I think, uh, are, would be the staple of, of the offense this week, really trying to uh, throw them off with the film study that they've been doing. Other things I like, I like the I like the fake quick screens. They've done a ton of quick screens. I think Toronto's going to jump on some of those. So you do a quick pump fake quick screen and then look for something more mid-range, not deep. Toronto's pretty good at defending those. So I don't think like the the uh, pump and go sort of plays are, are what the doctor ordered this week. But pump and mid-range stuff I do like. And the very last thing, uh, they run some really nice uh, crossers um, that create high-low on the linebackers. And Toronto's linebackers, we've talked about how good Enoch Mwamba is at taking away those drag routes. Uh, and McManus, too, they love seeing those. And so you stare down a drag route, and then you've got a, a dig coming across the other way from the other side of the field that you just loft over the top of the backers. Um, that'd be another play that that I like. So that's those plays all together. Th- that would be sort of the basis of my offense as Hamilton playing Toronto this week. JB, let's flip to the good guys. You're the defensive coordinator for Toronto. What is your plan this week? Well, I think there should be a lot of familiarity because it'll feel like playing against the Argos at practice. Um, the Hamilton is definitely a pass-first team. They want to pass the ball. Uh, they are last in the league at second-down conversion. They, they're they looking to get five, six yards every time on first down and then convert and then set up again. They love to pass on first down. They just have not been that successful running the ball. So from a defensive point of view, definitely pass is what I'm looking to stop. Like you say, they love running quick screens and quick hitters, a lot of quick, you know, passing game as running game stuff. And then occasionally they'll mix in Jackson just to keep you honest. But I'm not worried about him in terms of as long as, you know, linebackers don't get, you know, stay on top of it and scrape and make sure he can't run off tackle. Um, I'm not worried about the run. I'm I'm looking to to make sure that I take care of Dunbar, who somehow survived that Montreal game from the hardest hit I've ever seen a guy take um, in the fourth quarter. But I'm on top of Dunbar. Can't let Dunbar go down the field. You can't let Dunbar run those deep posts. Um, he's got he's to have blanket coverage. Just take him away. The thing that drives me crazy is when a team's best player is their best player. You know, you can't, you can't allow Dunbar to go out there and be their best player. You've got to take Dunbar away. And, and then see what they have after Dunbar. You know, this is not a loaded team. 
So I'm I'm all over Dunbar. Uh, Jackson, I'm all over him coming out of the backfield, you know, for quick screens, quick hitters, quick out passes on top of him. No cushion at all. He's a running back. You should be on top of him, pushing him off his route before he comes out of the backfield, right on top of him. I'd like to see man coverage. You know, I'd like to see really tight coverage. Uh, Hamilton runs the Argo screen. Um, so we should be well rehearsed for, for, for stopping that. I'm probably looking really to be very uh, pass conscious on first down. I'm not going to bring a lot of heat. I want to see uh, coverage. I want to have, I want to fill that underneath uh, with as many DBs as possible. And if I can keep them to two or three yards, then I'm bringing all the heat on second down and, and really coming after them. Cause that hasn't been a strength converting on second and long. Um, they like to run the ISO to Dunbar, the quads ISO. I'd certainly be very wary of, of that and, and making sure whether, you know, Peters can stay on him or you want to roll the safety over there. Um, they're looking to do that. I, I don't get the Schultz thing, to be honest. Um, I'm sure somewhere Mazzoli is smiling. It's weird. You know, he comes in, you know, certainly you're alert QB keep, you're alert screen, um, he can throw the ball down the field, but that's not what he's he's there to do. Uh, it's kind of weird from a defensive point of view, but I I don't think it really is the disruptor that Hamilton seems to think it is. Um, you know, you're looking to he comes in, you know, alert run, alert screen. I I, I don't think you have to worry much more than that. I, I I don't see him as as being so different from Evans, and then Evans. You've got to keep in the pocket. He, you know, like a lot of CFL guys, he wants to roll out and then go deep down the field. Um, you know, like Ottawa did last week. You have got to keep contain. Don't don't get sucked into the inside. You're not going to get there anyways. You see it so often that that defensive lineman who kind of loops into uh, a guard or the center for really no reason. Just stay outside. Keep him in the pocket, force him to make plays. But I'm all over the short pass early first down. I'm bringing lots of heat on second down. Um, and, you know, on Jackson for screens and Dunbar for ISO. And I think that should be enough to get it done. They are not an explosive offense. They are almost identical to Toronto in that they like to pass. They're not very good at running. They're not particularly good at scoring touchdowns. So this is an offense we should be able to keep in check. For the Toronto offense, I think one of the keys to their success this week is actually changing up, and this is going to sound dangerous after all the procedure calls we saw last week, but changing up the snap count and procedure, um, I I get it. We saw Philip Lake and Dejan Allen not just go offside. Yeah, I'm, I'm changing. <laughs> go on one. Just go on one. So my thought is I actually want a couple of like first sounds. So snap on first sound this week. The reason I want that is when I look at Hamilton's defense, they run a lot of delayed stuff. They really like delayed blitzes, both for like you, you typically see that with like run blitzing, but they run a lot of delayed blitzes uh, that incorporate twists and other ways to get uh, some some heat on the quarterback. And 
I think you can really throw them off their game when you mess with their timing. So you line up and go on first sound, uh, which is going to take some communication. It does take some getting used to, but there's time to do that. You've got a full week of, of practice to do that. Um, I want to see a couple plays on first sound, and then you mix it up with these simulated snaps as well, which McLeod only, I think I only saw him do that twice last week where they got to the line of scrimmage in a hurry, did the simulated snap and allowed uh, Bethel Thompson to read what the defense was showing. And Ottawa didn't really give him much either time. They were sort of committed into what they were doing. But Hamilton will. They they do disguise pretty well. And so if you can do a couple plays on first sound, really catch those delayed blitzers way out of position and then simulate the snap and force them to commit and show their hand early, you can start taking advantage of that. So that's that's one of the staples of this week. I want to do a lot of that stuff, fiddle around with the snap count. And you, those offensive linemen, I know there's guys playing out of position. You you have to. You have to keep your composure. You cannot be sending your offense five yards back every time they, they run an alternate snap count. But at the professional level, you just have to be able to do that. You have to be able to. You can't, you can't not go on two or on first sound or run a delayed snap without getting a penalty at the professional level. So they've got to figure that out this week. Um, I like I, I like a lot of stuff um, against uh, Roll, who I know is a, a really he's a great corner, but he's been burned deep a couple of times. And last week, uh, I think it was Lewis that got the best of him a couple of times on deep routes. So I actually really like going against that and looking at deep comebacks, uh, routes that appear to be too deep to be anything other than a go route, where suddenly they come back towards the sideline. Ideally, you incorporate that with a little bit of a rollout. You can get McLeod going to his right a little bit. And, and hit one of those deep comebacks. Uh, but I think Roll can be targeted on, on plays like that. Hamilton will give you underneath stuff, especially crossers too, because they because they do they do blitz a lot. And we expect to see run blitzes this week. They will give you those. They play off and allow you to hit those shallow crossers for five or six yards. But I, I say take those. I think you've got a lot of guys that that are reliable, usually reliable pass catchers that are going to be able to take those those five-yard catches and turn them into first downs and 15-yard plays. And I think that those will add up. So I'm fine with taking what Hamilton's giving you in situations like that. Uh, there are some issues. Uh, like I know that the Hamilton defensive line is annoying. Uh, Dylan Wynn is, is a nuisance. I, I kind of want to either run directly at him, which I think is an option, but I, I also think they can trap him. And now, Traps, you don't see a lot of in the CFL. It's harder to do with the the yard of space on the line of scrimmage. But you can do it on things like direct snaps. And we haven't seen Toronto do that before. I know I'm maybe asking a lot for, for Lawrence, who had a clean sheet last week in terms of shotgun snaps. But maybe a couple of direct snaps to Harris with trap blocking where you're trapping win and having him come downfield just to get like, you know, pasted by by McKellar uh, coming in and kicking him out. I think there's some room for success there. And that's a way to also slow down the line. Like if you've if you've been hit by a pulling guard or a trap block, uh, it you do not react the same way for the rest of the game. You don't come off that line uh, quite as aggressively. And so I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that mixed into the game plan. Uh, Brooks and Leonard, like halfbacks will, they give you a fair amount of cushion when they're playing man. And I do expect to see a lot of man coverage. So I, I think from the inside guys, I'd like to see some three-step slants, some, some really sort of fat posts as well. I think there's room in the middle of the field in behind the backers on those. Uh, and I want to run a lot of quads. Uh, I don't know exactly how to set that up. I still like Daniels as the isolated guy. They haven't done it once yet this year. Maybe the return of Rogers would mean they will, but when the way Hamilton defends 
quads. Uh, there's there's uh, some room for go routes on the outside of the quads, which McLeod actually has the arm to hit because, uh, like, for example, Evans, when he's sometimes lined up on the outside guy in, in quads, they will put him out there. He will let you, he'll let you hit that, that deep go route. It's a hard pass to throw, but he will give you that because he actually pinches up a fair bit. So I do like taking a couple chances um, with, with go routes there. Also, if you've got Banks as the, as the number three in quads looks, which I've been asking for a while, uh, Cameron Kelly often gets uh, flats coverage uh, against the, the quad side, and he's pretty late getting out there. And I know Cameron Kelly's a good player, but he doesn't have the speed that Banks has. And if you can get Banks the ball in space out wide, and Cameron Kelly's the guy, the flats defender, and everyone else is is way off the ball, and you've got a, now a lot of space for Banks to maneuver in, that could be a play that works really well. So I'd love to see them put Banks as the number three in those quad sets and really try and take advantage of those short passes in the flats. And that's, that's how I would go up against Hamilton this week as the Argos. It'll all come down, can the offensive line hold its own against a four-man rush. And if they can't, <laughs> then then there's a problem. You know, Ham- if, if Hamilton's four-man rush can get home, which it did against Montreal a number of times, um, you know, the way Ottawa's Malden just took over the game, he, that's where you're really going to run into a problem because if, you, if a four-man rush can get home, you're basically screwed as an offense. And so that'll be very interesting to watch early is can they can they get there? Can they can they hold enough to 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 punish those boxes and and allow Harris a little bit of breathing room? And can they not be a 30-30 offense? Can they punish teams in the red zone? Because right now the red zone is just a disaster. And teams are not scared of Toronto going between the 30s because go ahead, go go between the 30s, kick your field goal. Like who cares? Um, they def they desperately need a great red zone day. They need to show that they can handle moving the ball in in short yardage situations. And uh, those are the two things I'll be looking for really early. Is is some red zone creativity and four-man rush. If you see a four-man rush result in a sack, might be time for a snack. <laughs> the the offensive line needs a bounce back game, but it, it wasn't coming. The, the heat wasn't coming where you thought it would come from. Uh, coming into this game, most of it was actually coming from the right side. I, Lawrence had a tough game. He he was beat a few times at center, and there were there were a couple of plays too where they could have been really dangerous. Like he got bowled over on that touchdown pass to Banks. That very easily could have been a knee injury to McLeod Bethel Thompson, as he and his guy basically just went somersaulting backwards into into McLeod. Um, yeah, he let up a lot of pressure, and, and Lawrence has been a really good blocker. As much as we've given him a hard time for some of the snaps, he's actually played really well. Otherwise, this was not a good game for him. And Dejon Allen didn't have a very good game by his standards, too. He's been a rock uh, ever since he got here, and he let, let up a lot of outside pressure last week. The pressure wasn't funny enough coming from uh, the, the rookie, uh, McKellar, and, and Blake, who's suddenly playing left tackle. They had their issues. They didn't play great games, but they graded better than than the right side of the line did. Um, McKellar was responsible for uh, one sack and, and one quarterback hit that I have and a few pressures. 
um, and uh, Blake slightly better than that. So, you know, that if they can play slightly better and the right side can play the way they've been playing all year, then I don't expect Hamilton to be able to generate too much pressure with that four-man rush, even though I do think they're their defensive line is is actually pretty good. I think this game is is huge in that Toronto, the CFL is a home field league and Toronto has got to get his home field swagger back. You know, they uh, won the East last year because they were incredible at home. They cannot win the East if they are not winning 75% of their games at home. They, they have to win. This weekend, I, I'm making it a have to. They have got to win at home versus Hamilton. I, um, if if their intentions are more than, you know, um, you know, if their intentions are to do something this year, you have got to win at home in the CFL. You, so they have to stop the bleeding and get some of that home field swagger back because to need to win on the road in the CFL is a mugs game. My one thing last week did not work out. I wanted one sack allowed max, and there were many more than that. <laughs> I think I think I have a, a a difficult but realistic goal for my one thing this week. For one thing, I want the defensive line to cause and recover a quarterback fumble. And that sounds like a big ask, but it was something that would have changed the game around last week. They they caused a number of, of issues. They had sacks. They had plays that really should have been sack fumbles uh, and weren't. You know, they, they got there and got excited and wrapped the quarterback up instead of sort of chopping as you wrap up. And then they did cause a couple fumbles that were immediately recovered. One that, that Ray did beautifully, and it just happened to bounce right back up and, and Evans was able to re- recover it. One of those this week needs to turn into a Toronto turnover. Dane Evans will give you those opportunities. He doesn't protect the ball very well in the pocket. And the Argos have, as well as the Argos played against, uh, or as well as Evans played against the Argos last year, the Argos were able to get to Evans. Like they have uh, all, all last season, whenever they played against Evans, they were able to sack him. And because he doesn't protect that football, I think there are opportunities to turn it over. So that's what my one thing is this week. One, cause and recover quarterback fumble uh, generated by the defensive line. What's your one thing? Well, if you're going to go after my defense, then I'm going to have a word about your offense. Uh, my one thing is going to be wide receivers, no drop passes. I want a drop-free game. Used them all up last week. No drops. Yeah, they used up like three games worth of drops last week. It was so uncharacteristic, too. It's guys that don't drop. Like, when's the last time you saw Curly Gittens Jr. drop two passes in a game or Ambles drop two passes in a game? Yeah. It just doesn't happen. No drops. Let's go. I want a professional, get our act together. We're the kings of the East. Take care of Hamilton at home. Victory. Don't make me come on here spitting fire about a team that I, I went all in on in Nova Scotia. Prediction time. Oh, God. I've got this as a pretty tight game. Uh, I'm going to go 24-22 for the Argonauts. I, I think... I think they have to get back on the winning track. Like you said, at home, it, it just, this has to be a win. They have played so well here at home over the last couple of years, but it, this year, I actually, they played okay against Winnipeg, but, uh, you know, that wasn't Winnipeg's best game. And certainly they, you know, 
they did not play well this past week. So they've got to bounce back. This has to be a good home performance. There are no excuses. They haven't traveled now. Um, you know, they're not coming in off a, a two-game road trip or anything like that. They're rested. They're getting guys back. This absolutely has to be a home win. So 24-22, field goal at the buzzer uh, for uh, the Argonauts win. What about you? <laughs> I am going to go Argos win. This is the last of the uh, the last of the Kool-Aid in my cup. So I would like to refill that cup. So I am going to go Argos win. Um, I think that it's going to be tighter. I think that it's going to be 21-18 Argos. It is now time for our world-famous fantasy advice. So we are coming off a week where we were absolutely on fire. I hope we were able to help you out with with your fantasy team this past week. It did not do us any good, JB, because we, without knowing it, were actually on a bye. So... <laughs> We we stacked our, our lineup. We had our best week of the year, I think, maybe second best week of the year, and all for naught because we were on a bye week. But hopefully we were able to do something for you. So we'll go through our, our rundown this week. Uh, we really like McLeod Bethel-Thompson this week. His price is getting up there, though. If you need some value, you got to make it work in your lineup. Bo Levi Mitchell is 8100 which is a really nice price. We ended up with enough money at the end. We started off, when we were building our team, we started off with, with Bo at quarterback, and we had enough money left over to be able to get McLeod Bethel-Thompson. He's been great for fantasy numbers this year and uh, has been a good price. Now, his price is probably market value now that has come up to almost 9000 But I, I still think you go with him and you're going to get a bounce back week from the Toronto offense this week. He's been good for about 300 yards and two touchdowns. Remember those stats that, that we went over earlier? Uh, he's, he's a great fantasy quarterback. Running back. There's some potential value this week, but you're going to have to wait a little later in the week to really fire on this one. Peyton Logan at $5,000 could be potentially a steal if Kadeem Carey is not going to be able to go. He's been battling hamstring issues, which we know aren't great for running backs. If he ends up practicing full by the end of the week, then I probably am going to go somewhere else. Um, you know, we probably look at dialing up our old friend Brady Oliveira at that point. But if Peyton Logan's going to start, I think you go with him at running back against Ottawa. If Kadeem Carey looks to be okay, then you call the audible and you go with Brady Oliveira. Our other running back, uh, Sean Thomas Erlington at 4,200. I don't think he's going to get huge numbers, but I could certainly see him getting a touchdown and some yardage. I think the Argos are going to stack up. We talked about, about this, JB. Like They're going to stack up against Jackson, and I could see them kind of leveling off a little bit against Erlington. So I think he's going to put up some points, certainly worth his value. Receiver, we splurged a little bit. Lucky Whitehead, I think you've got to figure is going to have a huge game. Edmonton's secondary is vulnerable. They have been all year. So Whitehead at 8,800 uh, is, is a good price. And Dalton Schoen, we, we're not going to go away from Dalton Schoen after that uh, huge week he had for us last week. He's a good receiver and he's really turned into something. And until everyone's back at full health there, I think he's going to be one of the, if not the primary targets uh, for Clara. So Dalton Schoen at 5800 is still a good price. And then Cam Phillips, who we've been riding for a little while uh, in the flex, uh, his, his numbers are never going to be, you know, he's not going to be a 200 yards, three touchdown guys that just explodes for you. But for $3,000, he, uh, he's a great flex play. Even with guys coming back, I expect him to be out there. Now, that's one thing that you do want to check. Game day, if you see on the roster, on the Toronto roster, that enough guys have come back and be like, let's say they've got Rodgers and Breskison both starting 
and Daniels is back healthy, then Phillips probably isn't on the field at that point, in which case you do want to look elsewhere for your flex. But if he's starting, tremendous value. And then we like Calgary Stampeders as a defense, 3,655 against Ottawa. Ottawa played out of their minds this week. They have struggled to win games at home. They typically haven't been as deadly offensively as they looked last week. So I like the Calgary D in that one. And that will just about wrap up our fantasy picks uh, for week nine in your fantasy season. Let's get into our picks, JB. Uh, We both went two and two last week. Uh, A little bit disappointing. Obviously, we both lost on Toronto. Uh, You had Saskatchewan over BC inexplicably. I had Calgary over Winnipeg, which just didn't quite materialize. Let's let's see if we can rebound with uh, with a perfect. Saskatchewan had a shot there, and then it all fell apart. Yeah, they they looked good actually in the first half, and then it just looked like they they just ran out of gas. And yeah. and man, Rourke had a really nice adjustment in the second half. He played a great second Saskatchewan's half. Saskatchewan's in trouble. They are, uh, and they're a good team. They, they're a good team, but they're in trouble. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Well, I think they probably get that crossover spot, and that's what's going to bail them out. Is that the if the East beats over, up on each over, other over Calgary? Well, I think so. I, I think you're going to end up with you're going to end up with four with four teams making the playoffs in the West, right? So yeah, no, it's you're right. Just going to be like they're all going to be enough, uh, and I don't think they'll beat Calgary, but I think they'll they'll be ahead of the third place team in the East because they're just at such a actually I was going to say they're at such a disadvantage it's actually not that big a disadvantage now because Saskatchewan keeps losing but I think at the end of the day Saskatchewan's a good enough team that they are going to string some wins together because they can beat Calgary they can beat Winnipeg they they probably won't but but they, they can they're they're capable of winning those games um, and so they could end up with a decent record at the end. And I think it'll be better than the third placed East team. So probably just two guys coming out of the East. Let's let's get to our picks. So Winnipeg at Montreal. Uh, who do you have in this one? I'm going Montreal. Yes. I am going Montreal at home. I think that Winnipeg uh, is has been grinding. And I love their win over Calgary. And I know that they owe Montreal, but I Montreal at home is still a force to be reckoned with. And uh, I, I like, <laughs> don't love, I like Montreal at home. We should change our bet from a sub sandwich to that $90 poutine meal that oh, Montreal wow. is going to be serving. Hats off, to the, t- oh, hats off to, the, to the Alouettes. That is, yeah. if you haven't seen, go look up Alouette Helmet Poutine. It's the best thing ever. Those those helmets, snack helmets are amazing. I used to have a Bengals one that that I loved. I, they're not the most practical things in the world, but in terms of like a, a game day uh, accoutrement, it's it's kind of a, a nice thing to have. And to be able to snack it with three full orders of poutine is the best thing ever. It's $90 is an expensive poutine dish, but... You know, I, I think well worth it. So, yeah, maybe we should change our bet to one of those, uh, the way that I, you've been I making believe picks. you have my Bombers of Winnipeg then? I do have the Bombers. Yeah, I just can't see I can't see Montreal beating Winnipeg. I just don't want to pick against Winnipeg until they, they lose a game. Like, like I picked against them twice this year, and obviously I've been wrong both times. Calgary at Ottawa. Uh, I will, I'll go first in this one. I'm taking Calgary. Uh, I think Ottawa played as as well as they can play. They had a great game this week. I don't expect them to be able to do that in back-to-back games. They've shown no consistency this year and Calgary needs a win. They, they're a great team, but they're coming off, they're coming off a loss that they really felt 
they should have had. They've lost both now uh, to Winnipeg, and they need to just create some space for themselves. They're going to take this game pretty seriously. I know they've got some injuries potentially, but I still think they can beat Ottawa. Yeah, I like Calgary as well. Not gonna, not gonna chance it there. Try and get back into this with a with an Ottawa win. Um, I no, I, I no, I, I'm not gonna give Ottawa any flowers. And we both got uh, Toronto in the Toronto Hamilton game. Last up is Edmonton BC. BC coming off a bye week. JB, I'm still gonna go with the Lions. Or sorry, Edmonton coming off a bye week. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Lions. Uh, where are you going? I. I think Edmonton is going to keep it close because it is hard to play a team that you beat the doors off the second time. And I think Edmonton is, you know, is going to come out and make it really close. I just don't think Edmonton has the horses to to play the four quarters and that at the end BC just has too many weapons, you know. They're they're when everybody's healthy, they are loaded. So I love Edmonton up at half, but BC to win. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Make sure you get out to the game this week if you have the means. It's at BMO Field, 7 p.m. start this Saturday. Hamilton-Toronto games are usually outstanding and the environment uh, is something else. So make sure you find a way to get there. There's still some great seats available. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe,